Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brews and Belters podcast, where we talk all things soccer while sipping on some local brews. You can find our podcast here on Spotify each Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. You can also interact with us via Twitter and Instagram at Brews and Belters. My name is Keegan Gowitz, and tonight I'm sipping on a Wisconsin Amber from Capital Brewery in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, 6.5, really refreshing amber, not super heavy, not super dark. Um, also, a little bit of admin news. Uh, we've created a uh, Brews and Belters Untapped, um, so we're going to track all the beers that we have here on the podcast, so you can follow along and try them out. A uh, little shout out to my brother-in-law, Kyle Heck, for that idea. Um, about time he brought something to the table, um, you know, for our family. So, <laughs> uh, As always, I am joined by Tobias Hinefeld. Toby, what you sipping on tonight? What's up, Keeks? How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, I have a Blind Pig uh, U of IPA uh, from Champagne, Illinois. Love Hopefully that. this beer tastes better than they played last week, uh, Sunday, when they uh, got ousted out of the tournament. Uh, big upset. So, yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it delivers for me. Uh, it's a 6.5. Pretty tasty. I've actually drank like half of the bottle already. So, yeah, it's good. Nice, nice little little pregame of the podcast. Love that. Yeah, I'm on number two myself. This is a 5.2, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. So nothing too hefty, but uh, pretty good stuff. Could see myself uh, slinging back three or four of these for sure. So tonight, uh, Tobe's going to run through a few of the matches he watched over the weekend. I had a pretty, pretty lax weekend as far as watching goes. Um, and then we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Champions League draw. We got some tasty ones there. Discuss Europa League. Uh, and then we're going to get into a few matches that, that stand out for, for this coming week's international break, starting Wednesday. Um, and then we're going to talk just very briefly FA Cup quarterfinal or semifinals, excuse me. Belgium starting 11. That will be the Euro, uh, Euro Cup squad that we'll be highlighting this week. We both filled out rosters for that. And then we'll get into our belters, our cheers, and our booze, as always. So, Toby, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Uh, I know you watched a few few matches that stood out to you this weekend. Perfect. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, midweek, last week, uh, we had some Champions League. Um, Chelsea Atletico Madrid. Uh, Ziyech finally got on the board for Chelsea when they uh, won 2-0 and 3-0 on aggregate. Um, I was expecting a lot more out of Atletico. Uh, they definitely underwhelmed me, um, no real attack. And, uh, with some of the guys up front, uh, I expected a whole lot more from them and didn't really get it, uh, which was kind of a letdown, uh, being a champions league game. Um, and it's to the, uh, you're going to go through the standings for the next time's draw, but, uh, Chelsea has been looking so good. I actually, one of my buddies was in Las Vegas and I had him put just $10 down and it's, it would bring back 80 if they won. So the odds are definitely not in Chelsea's favor, but uh, in my opinion, they are, they're looking like one of the best teams in that tournament, you know, not necessarily in the Premier League uh, with City and some of the other teams, but in that tournament, I think they're right up there with City uh, because I really think Thomas Tuchel wants to win it, so they're going for it, and he's throwing out their best squads, which unfortunately does not have Christian Pulisic on it, does not have... Uh, Olivier Giroud, like a lot of the players I really like are not on there. It's pretty much been a Timo Werner, uh, Mason Mount, and uh, he's been kind of flipping between Kai Havertz and a couple others. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, uh, it's definitely. I think they're definitely a a team in form right now. Chelsea is, um, and yeah, I don't, uh, I don't see them getting held back in the next round. Uh, do you have the standings or who uh, for the next for the next outlook? Yeah, yeah. For the uh, the quarters here, we got. You're talking Champions League, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. For the quarters, uh, we got. We'll hop ahead, uh, or, or we'll touch on this later. But they've got Porto, which I think is a great draw for them. Um, and like you mentioned, they're defending incredibly well right now. Um, and Porto is a pretty attack-minded team. Uh, so I I think that they're going to be fine in Champions League at least at least living out this round. Um, I'll, I'll kind of touch on that later, but yeah, I, I'm feeling okay. really confident about them in the Champions League. Uh, they're in an unbelievable form. Best start ever for a Chelsea manager um, as far as going unbeaten goes. So yeah, we can we can touch yeah. on that a little bit when, when, we, when we get to Champions League. And they don't even have a Thiago Silva playing right now. He's been now injured with a hamstring. Yeah. So that's just like one more guy to kind of give uh, Rudiger and uh, Kurt Zuma in the back uh, some extra push for... For competition, so yeah. Um, moving on from there, uh, the next day um, I recorded uh, the Spurs game, and that was the demise of me as a human being for the week. Uh, they were up two zero in aggregate and ended up uh, giving up a hat trick to this uh, to one guy who pretty much beat them three different ways. Like one was like a phenomenal team goal. That was the second one. I want to say the first one was just a rocket of a perfect bend right over the goalie. Like nothing the goalie could do was outside the 18. Um, And that kind of gave them the confidence they needed with that first goal. And they were, they looked like the better team the entire time. Like there was no doubt about it. They were the better team. Um, No excuses. Tottenham had a good portion of their they're good, like their starters out there. Uh, yeah, they they just choked it away. They end up going to extra time, and they got a goal in in the uh, I want to say it was the final fifteen to thirty minutes of the extra time. Yeah, and uh, it was kind of like the same kid just pretty much knifed through seven defenders and just took it to them and and plowed it home on them. And uh, yeah, so that's the end of the Europa run for Tottenham. Uh, after the game, Jose did not even go into the locker room of the Spurs. He didn't even go in there. He was that upset. He did go in the locker room of uh, Benimo Zagreb and uh, pretty much acted like a uh, Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and like like pretty much congratulated them. Like it was some big deal. But like, dude, I feel like he needs to just shut up and coach at this point. Um, it's like whenever they need a win, they don't get it and they don't have their stars perform for them. Um, and that's on the players, but it's also on the coach as well. For sure. So. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So. Mislav Orsic, by the way, put some respect on that man's name. That was the hat trick hero. Uh, second half hat trick, by the way. And and I think you did pretty well to describe how how delicious it was. Uh, first finish was incredible. Second one was good. First touch finish, um, kind of in traffic in the box. And then the third one, like you said, just sliced through Tottenham's basically entire defense on the left side uh, for an incredible goal. But continue. I just wanted to. I just want to stick the knife in a little bit deeper um, and pour a little. Oh salt no, in. I appreciate that. Yeah, I got you. I'm here for you. <laughs> uh, so, 
continued with that, and the next game, there was two of them, and it was uh, Manchester United and AC Milan. I did not decide to watch that one. I decided to watch the Rangers and Slavia Prague game because uh, that was kind of a traditional whoever goes for it wins it kind of game. There wasn't a really an aggregate to it. Um, so I was expecting something from Rangers, honestly, and they didn't really rise to the occasion like I expected them to. Uh, no disrespect to Slavia Prague, besides for their racist, but besides that, like they played decent. Um, they just got behind, and uh, yeah, accumulation of yellow cards uh, causing one red for Rangers, and then uh, there was another one. This was when the game got very chippy, and uh, there were some... Uh, like some bad poor tackling, I would say, uh, pretty aggressive. But uh, yeah, one of them, uh, <laughs> I forget who it even was for the Rangers, but he uh, pretty much took off the goalie's head with a high boot, and it was cleats to face. Mm. Uh, something you see in like a, like a Jackie Chan movie where he just like literally went up up over the shoulders, got him good, and pretty much knocked out the goalkeeper. He had to be stretchered off. Missed that, missed the rest of the game, and then uh, yeah, so he got a red card too. So there's two red cars, um, and then to kind of put a a shitty damper on the entire game, even though it was never really within reach for the Rangers, is that there was a uh, one of the Slavia Prague guys uh, had a racial uh, comment that he made to one of the Rangers players, um, and so it was Glenn Kamara who was the uh, person who he racially abused and. Uh, I mean, it just sucks, like, no matter, like, we, we brought this up last week about uh, how Wilfred Zaha of Crystal Palace talked about it, and how, uh, you know, taking the knee before the game doesn't matter, like, it's, there's got to be different change, and then, like, for something like this to happen, um, and I mean, I, I know it happens all the time on the pitch, uh, which is sad, but, uh, yeah, so that happened, and it kind of just put a, a great cloud over Slavio Prague, who got an awesome win, you know, yeah. they made it to the next round and uh yeah so i'm definitely not rooting for them <laughs> my moral compass is definitely pointing down for them so yeah yeah no uh and that that's actually uh, uh i'll just go ahead that's my boo for the day is uh andre kudel of slavia prague uh who called glenn doesn't really matter what he called him um it, assuming he did indeed call him that, which we have no reason to believe he didn't, especially based on Glenn Kamara's reaction immediately. Um, uh, Kudel basically like whispered something in his ear in passing, uh, looked nasty. Glenn Kamara's reaction said it all. Uh, racism is racism, has no place in football or anywhere else in the world. And yeah, it's just with, with all these you know symbolic gestures, it, it just kind of reiterates Saha's point that a gesture is a gesture like you need people to buy in you need people to be educated you need people you need entities like UEFA and FIFA and the various leagues to step up and and put the proper punishment in play um I don't I don't know exactly I'm not going to pretend that I have the answer to to solve these problems but something needs to be put in play um obviously you can't go out and mic every player up so that you know what they're whispering out there on the pitch but Something's got to happen. You got to put your foot down, and everyone wants to to talk about. Oh, he whispered it, so we have no proof. Like, fuck that. Put your foot down and give him a, a ban anyway, just off the accusation, and prove a point that that don't even put yourself in that position to be to be questioned on on saying something like that. So, uh, there's my yeah, no, but, 
there's there's my boo for the day. But uh, yeah, I think well, you have one let's more. Just we'll we'll move I was on. To more... say, let's just put them out of the way. So. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll move <laughs> um, on to more pleasant topics. So moving on to the weekend, um, to kind of piggyback off of off of your boo, my cheer was from the game I saw on Sunday, which was the uh, old firm uh, Glasgow Derby. Uh, for the Scottish Premier League, it was those Rangers and Celtic. Uh, ended in a 1-1 draw. Um, something that was my cheer of the week was uh, Celtic's captain, Scott Brown. Uh, before the game went on the other side of the pitch where the uh, Rangers were training and instantly found Glenn Kamara and, like, kind of t- talked to him and, like, uh, gave him, like, a hug, fit, like a dude fist bump hug um, <laughs> to kind of let him know, I think, you know, like, there's no room for that, and, and if he's the captain of Celtic doing it, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen in, in his locker room. Um, so yeah, besides that, the game was okay. There wasn't much to talk about, um, honestly, with the 1-1 draw. Uh, so the other games that I watched, um, in the Premier League, there was actually, like, what, four games in the Premier League, one of which uh, was the best game of the week, which I did not watch, was uh, the West Ham-Manchester United game. Um yeah, West Ham, Manchester United, uh, and I did not watch that, but I did watch the uh, Leicester United game, which was a three-one. Uh, pretty much United choked. There's not much more to it in the FA Cup. Um, so Leicester moves on to the next round, um, and then the last one uh, game back into it was uh, Villa Spurs. So they were the Premier League game. Uh, two goals, Vinicius and Kane. Uh, no, Jack Grealish. He had a. Jack Grealish was looking pretty damn fresh on the sideline um, with a nice uh, Nike jumper jumpsuit that he had on. Um, Spurs finally got some points out of it, and they're actually doing okay in the Premier League right now, surprisingly. Um, but yeah, that's about it with it come when it comes to the Spurs. Like, I don't even really want to talk about them after after last Thursday. We'll, uh, so we'll move on then. Um, we'll we'll go ahead and transition uh, into the Champions League. Draw. Oh, Keeks. yeah. That West Ham. It was Arsenal. They played West Ham in yeah. the Premier League yeah. this weekend. So yeah, so that was my bad. I kept saying Manchester United. So yeah, I wasn't gonna call you on it. Don't worry, wasn't gonna call you. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> moving on to the Champions League draw. Some really really good matchups for uh, for the neutral. Um, some sweaters for for anybody who has a kind of a horse in the race. Um, for me personally, first match, uh, or first match day, um, April 6th, you got Real Madrid versus Liverpool and Borussia Dortmund versus Man City. To me, both incredible matchups. Um, Real versus Liverpool, little little rematch of uh, three seasons ago, the final. Um, Real Madrid, a little bit down compared to where they've been over the past five years or so. But the quality is still there, and on top of that, the experience is still there. You got seven, eight guys on that roster who have won three plus Champions Leagues uh, with Casemiro, Modric, Benzema. You know the list goes on. <clears throat> so definitely got me sweating as a Liverpool fan. But we've been playing a little bit better recently. Uh, I think that Premier League, you know, a, a top four spots kind of it's not out of the question, but. Um, I think the focus is going to be on Champions League, which makes me a little bit more optimistic, makes me a little more excited. And then Borussia Dortmund versus Man City is an incredible matchup. Uh, super attacking, young Borussia Dortmund side faces the 
you know, the, the sensei of the game, Pep Guardiola's super disciplined, uh, firing on all cylinders, Man City side. Along with that, just some little fun facts. Erling Holland, the number nine cyborg for Borussia Dortmund, uh, when he was born actually in England uh, while his dad was playing for City. So there's photos of him back in the day with the City jersey on him. Um, Jaden Sancho, another Borussia Dortmund star, came up through Man City's uh, youth ranks. So just a, a super juicy matchup. Uh, Going to be super, super fun to watch, super entertaining. I hope they can. I, I hope it stays as close as it should. Uh, Man City's just been so good this year that you could see them on any given day if they put the right team out there. You could see them beating anybody in the world 3-0, 3-1. So I think it should be close, but uh, kind of curious to see how it ends up. Toby, what do you think about these two matchups? Um, I think of the two. I'm more excited for Man City and uh, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, I think whoever wins that matchup early in Halan will stay with. Um, (laughs) I think he's going to go to Man City this offseason or next, uh, this summer. Uh, I don't think anyone else can really afford him um, in the Premier League. As for the actual game itself, I think it's going to be exactly what you said. Like, I think City is going to just put the vice down on them, and they're going to... Uh, attack them when they need to, but play very defensively uh, sound. Yeah, and uh, I don't think Dortmund will have any answers for that. The only way that they can is if they miraculously get like Erling Haaland on right away and allow him to kind of produce points. Um, but they Dortmund just doesn't really have that great of a defense, and their midfield is getting older with uh, Axel uh, Witzel. Um, even though I have him <laughs> uh, later in the show on the Belgium side of things, uh, I. I do think that he's kind of lost a step a little bit when it comes to marking against guys like Kevin De Bruyne and uh, whoever that they're going to set up front. Uh, and then uh, Gundawine is uh, definitely in form right now. Yeah. Um, and then as for the Real Madrid-Liverpool game, I don't think that's really a contest. I think Liverpool is going to destroy Real Madrid. Um, wow. <laughs> if I had to say so myself, I, I hope- think Real Madrid's in that great of a yeah. Um, I think they had the luckier of the draws when it yeah. came to getting Atalanta in last round um, and then uh, kind of leading up to it as well. They kind of snuck into it. Um, they are getting healthy with uh, Sergio Ramos, but I don't think – I just don't think there's that much there for them. Uh, with Even with Liverpool having all the defensive struggles that they have, uh, I think they have more than enough to take them on. So. Yeah, the promising thing is that Liverpool's back line has looked a little bit more cohesive with Nathaniel Phillips and Kabak there. Um, they seem to be clicking right now, so I hope that, that, I hope that they stay um, in form. Uh, Real just always makes me a little bit nervous. I, I think, personally, on paper, Liverpool have the better side, but Real Madrid, again, that this is the time, you know, when you, when you get down to the end of the Champions League, this is the time where that experience comes through, and, and Liverpool have... have gained that experience but you know a guy like Van Dyke is a huge part of that experience he really he's the motor that gets the team turning so I don't know I, I hope you're right um, moving on to match day two though uh, the following day April 7th is uh, is the first leg of match day two we got a rematch from last year's final Bayern versus PSG should be a great one and then as we touched on earlier Porto versus Chelsea so, a couple really good matches. Porto have kind of been a sleeper. 
I do think Chelsea, with the form they're in, should handle them pretty easily. Um, however, Bayern versus PSG, it's it's tough to take anybody over Bayern right now. But that should be a really good matchup. I mean, those are two of the, the top five teams in the world. Uh, bound to be goals, should be goals at least. If Lewandowski's on the pitch, you know, you know Bayern's grabbing at least two or three. And with Mbappe on the other side, uh, bound to get some chances. So I think Bayern defensively will have their hands full, but I think they're equipped to handle it too. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting. Um, hoping for a lot of goals there. Oh, no, definitely. Um, <clears throat> I think between the Bayern and PSG, uh, honestly, I wish I would have seen it next round or in the championship um, because I, I think besides City, those are the two best teams out of the eight remaining. Um, so I wish I could have seen those two get further down instead of playing right now, but it makes it way more exciting of a tournament for that reason. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's they both have pretty attack-minded styles, uh, but they both also are able to be uh, cohesive enough on defense that it uh, that it works that way. Um, as for the Chelsea Porto, I mean, I already said it. I put money on Chelsea to win the whole thing after getting that draw. Like, I think they can uh, ride that wave, yeah, uh, and maybe up some steam. Who knows? Um, but I mean, I just kind of said that those three are the top, not Chelsea. So. Uh, yeah, it'll be tough for them moving forward, but I do think that they got the best draw of the eight. Um, I think Porto is not, I don't think they should necessarily be there, but here they are. Um, and yeah, and then I, I'm thinking about it even more. So I might've jinxed you, uh, Keys with Liverpool, <laughs> Real Madrid. <laughs> they, they, they might just get smoked. Who knows? Yeah. So. <laughs> the experience is, experience is huge here. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ride Chelsea out. I, I think they're, with the form they're in, I think they're top five. They just got to maintain that form. And they got to do it while the, the tough thing with Chelsea is they have to continue playing this well while competing in the FA Cup, while holding their top four spot in the Premier League, and while, while you know competing, obviously, in the Champions League. So they've got a lot on their plate as far as you know competition goes, load management goes. Um, Tuchel's really got his work his, his work cut out for him. Uh, whereas Man City has kind of got the Premier League wrapped up for the most part. Pep does a really good job of switching players in and out. So I, I don't know. I, I think it'll be really interesting. Uh, Dortmund's not going to win Bundesliga. You know, Bayern's got that pretty wrapped up. So so you know, there's there's other teams in the competition who can kind of pour everything they have in Champions League. Whereas Chelsea kind of have to keep everything else in the back of their mind. This is, I think, where Chelsea's depth really pays off. I think we'll see Pulisic get more minutes over the next few weeks with all those competitions. Um, so it, it, it's shaping up to be a really interesting end of the year, and this is this is when things really get fun, is when you've got teams in you know two or three competitions who are, who are competing for silverware. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Good. Moving on to the Europa League draw, uh, kind of wild last episode. We thought Tottenham were easily through. Hate to hate to open up that wound again. Uh, we figured <laughs> we figured Rangers would be through. You know, Dynamo's a grab, stunning thrill when to get through. Slavia Prague stunned the Rangers. Um, so we've got, and these these matches all take place on the same day, April eighth. Um, we have got for the first leg at least, April fifteenth for the second. 
We've got Granada versus Man United, Arsenal versus Slavia Prague, and then Ajax versus Roma, which would be a great one. And then to wrap it up, Dynamo Zagreb versus Villarreal. Uh, Villarreal might be a little sleeper here. Pretty experienced squad. Uh, might be a fun one to watch after the performance Zagreb put in against Tottenham. Uh, but Ajax Roma obviously leaps off the page as far as, you know, historical clubs. Ajax with one of the best youth systems in Europe, one of the best histories as far as clubs go in Europe. Roma have played really well in a very competitive Serie A this season. So uh, some pretty good matchups. That one stands out to me. Dynamo Zagreb versus Villarreal is kind of your hipster match there. Uh, while Man United should, you would assume, get in against Granada and and. You would assume Arsenal will take care of Slavia Prague, but uh, we'll see. It just depends how those those young gunners are playing. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think if I had to pick between both of uh, Dynamo and uh, Villarreal, I'd probably go with Villarreal right away. Um, but yeah, the the Ajax and Roma game, that's definitely the one that comes off the screen to me. Uh, two traditional... Uh, exciting teams that have a lot of history. Um, and yeah, they both, I think, deserve to be in the quarterfinals. Uh, three of those teams that are that you named, uh, Granada, Slavia, Prague, and uh, Dynamo Zagreb, uh, I don't know if any of those three, like you could have switched those three with anyone else, and I think I would have been fine with that. Yeah. Um, but then you have Arsenal, United, and uh, Villarreal that are all, good teams and but i think they belong in europa whereas i think uh i actually you know they could be in the champions league still you know maybe not the quarterfinals but they were definitely a uh, champions league uh, caliber team yeah um they've had kind of a down year yeah. this year and uh compared to years past um usually what they have is like a 16 to 21 year old who's finally come into his own and they have like two or three of those guys that are like carrying the team and then they get they get traded in the in the summer to like some huge contract, you know, whether it be like uh, uh, Van de Beek or whoever else it might be. Like they usually get pretty good midfielders and and forwards, um, but they I've only watched them honestly like one or two times this year, and they just don't have anyone that really jumps off the page to me. Um, so I think that's why they're in the Europa this year instead of in the Champions. Uh, yeah, I think this is a huge game. Uh, for the two English teams, uh, Arsenal definitely has a lot to play for um, with them not really having any other hardware that they can win this year. This is huge for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's huge for their all the young guys. Like what you were mentioning last week in the weeks uh, leading up to tonight, uh, where there's a lot of young talent on that team, a lot of teenagers. And uh, they have not really honestly played in anything this big, in my opinion. Uh, you know, they might have played in some like, U16, U21 U, uh, tournaments, uh, that would be pretty large, like World Cups, and, uh, excuse me, uh, like the Olympics or something like that. But I don't think that they've ever been in a club game that's this high. Uh, so that's huge for Arsenal, and their their draw is pretty nice, uh, being a Slavia Pra. I don't know if I'd want to go there and play, but uh, definitely they could take care of things in London. I think they'd be good. And then as for United, uh, honestly, I don't know a ton about Granada. Um but I know that United have recently been playing down to their talent skill of the opposite opponent. Um, and I, I hate it because uh, they just got ousted out of the FA Cup um, over the weekend. 
Uh, I'm trying to see who they – I can't remember who they even played, but they definitely didn't go for it like I wish that they would have. Um, and he kind of put it back on like, yeah, it's like hard for us to juggle all the games that we're in right now. But you're Manchester United. You have a ton of key talent, and you know, you're know you not going for a tournament that you have a good shot of winning. Um, so I, I could see – I can see them totally biffing this and not, and not doing well against Granada. I hope that's not the case because I kind of just have a rooting interest in the Premier League doing well in these off off tournaments. Um, but if that's the case, uh, then it is what it is. So, yeah, um, definitely. I mean, and and I've criticized Ole and and Manu this entire season for kind of playing down <clears throat> to their competition. You know, seeing games out to get a draw, and this is where. You can do that in the league and maintain a position like they have, but when it comes to cup ties, you have to win. You have to go out and score goals, and that's what I love about them. And that's that's you know the the away goals is a is kind of a weird and controversial rule, but this is where it comes into play. Is like you got to go out and attack. You got to go out and put goals up on Granada, who you know, like you mentioned, they don't have any players that really jump off the screen and and make you say, "Wow, I want to watch Granada." You know, they're eighth place right now in La Liga, which is pretty weak this season. And, yeah, I mean, you could you could see Man United, uh, one of the most historic clubs in the world, go out and draw 1-1 with them in both legs and go to extra time and, you know, maybe get thrown penalties or, or give up a 112-minute goal and, and end up getting, you know, booted from Europa. Um and like you said, you know, we're juggling a lot of games. Yeah, everybody's juggling a lot of games right now. You know, that's that's the end of the season, especially a season like COVID. So it's really not an excuse for a club like that. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I agree, Arsenal's got a ton to play for. So, um, yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to watch. And I'm actually going to go ahead. I'm going to skip ahead to uh, to the FA Cup because we're, we're talking about Premier League squads playing in, in uh, different competitions. And... The semifinal for the FA Cup kicks off April 17th, and that is an all-Premier League affair. Uh, you've got Leicester City versus Southampton, and then you've got Manchester City versus Chelsea. Um, again, I touched on this earlier, but a chance for Tuchel to pursue his first trophy for Chelsea, balancing a lot with Champions League, um, keeping that top-four spot in the Premier League, and then pursuing the FA Cup. And you mentioned it was disappointing to see Man United get get ousted from the FA Cup and Ale's, you know, talking about we have we have several different matches that we're playing for. But I think a lot of people don't realize, uh, maybe maybe those of you watching the podcast who are, who are newer to the game, but the FA Cup is a huge deal, and I, I feel like it gets slept on sometimes. Like, this is the oldest competition in world football. It's the oldest, comp- you know, the, the, the original competition um, in England. So this is a, a really big deal as far as domestic you know, the domestic game in England. And um, I, I just think as a, a Premier League manager, this is something that Jose's been praised for. He goes after the FA Cup with all he's got, typically. And I know that obviously they got beat this year, but he he respects that competition. I feel like as a Premier League manager, you have to. You have to go out and you have to be ready to play in the FA Cup because it is a big deal. I mean, historically, it's a huge trophy and no matter, you know, how big the Champions League is, Premier League, obviously, you know, those are always the top two, but the FA Cup should never be slept on. And I just feel like it's a respect thing and a, a, a tradition thing. 
And uh, it's an opportunity to go out and make a statement as far as Tuchel and, and Chelsea go because they may not win the Champions League and they're certainly not going to win the Premier League. So, um, you know, you, you see all that money spent the offseason. Might as well go out and try and try and bring home some, some hardware. Uh, with you talking about the, the four teams that drew, um, City has a big opportunity, but they, I mean, yeah, of course they have to go through Chelsea, but where were we, what, eight weeks ago when City was, you know, not even in the top five, yeah. like they were in the middle of the pack and we we're like, is something wrong with City? And now look at them today. They're like in the Champions League, they're in the Carabao Cup finals, they're in the FA Cup. Like, they're in everything. Anytime we say a club is in trouble, they're going to start doing well. And anytime we say a club is doing well, they're doomed. That, that's that been the story <laughs> of the season. That's been the story of the season since we began the pod. Jinx Central. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's it's good for everyone, like, with the FA Cup. Uh, I... I do think uh, it's going to be probably City versus Leicester. Um, Southampton's kind of been uh, dwindling, yeah. um, but they definitely have enough talent. Uh, if they if Leicester decides to go for it or not, that will be the case. But I, I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, yeah. So with City, especially, I think that they have a lot to play for, and I expect I expect it to be, you know, a pretty good game because uh, they've been playing. Uh, recently, they've been playing like. Most of their starters, not all of them, um, but a good portion of them. But then they have been uh, uh, benching Ederson, and they've been playing Zach Steffen, uh, USA International. And he's been playing really well. I want to say in that FA Cup, I don't even know if he's – I think at least he's had most of mostly clean sheets. He's maybe given up one or two goals, which is pretty impressive. Like he's had a really good uh, time when he gets uh, gets time to play. I know we talked about it. Uh, whether he should play more or uh, maybe look to go somewhere else um, where he's not behind like a top four goalie in the world. Um, so that was one thing I kind of thought about. And then uh, kind of going back to United and how they got ousted by Leicester over the weekend. Um, if United end up not making it any further in the Europa, or maybe they make it to the semis, but then they're out of it again. Do you think Ole's job is in trouble or do you think he's still good to go even though he's got booted out of all the tournaments and if they don't stay where they're at in the champion in the premier league and they start kind of dropping down to fourth or fifth if they drop out of the top four i think so um if they can keep afloat that's that to me that's basically what he's done i hate to bash ale because he's just on the sideline wide-eyed looking like he's in a sinking ship that's just <laughs> staying above water like, that is how he looks always. And I think that's what it is. And I I feel for the guy. Like, I criticize him, but I feel for him because he really just inherited the job from Jose as an assistant. And then they started seeing success immediately. And they're like, all right, this is our guy. And it looks to me like he's just looking around like, how the fuck did I end up here? Like, how did I end up the guy? Why did I have to get on this hot streak before we hired a, a, a real manager? And he's just kind of rode that wave, and they've, they've just maintained. And like I said, these cups are where you can't just maintain. You have to go out and win. And I don't think he's a winner. I, I, as a player, he was. He was a super sub, would come in and, and get that game-winning goal. But I don't think as a manager, I, I just don't think he's up to handling all the talent they have. I don't think he's a risk-taker. I don't think he's a guy who's going to go out and win a cup. I don't think he's a guy who's going to go out and win the league. So I think long-term they need to get rid of him, but I think 
they're in a weird position where it's like, all right, you know, we've maintained our position in the top four steadily throughout a crazy season. Like, let's not fix what isn't broken. But at the same time, I don't see him lifting any any silverware uh, anytime soon. So I think yeah. they'll stay with him. Um, I do think they need to move on and 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 grab somebody else when you know somebody gets released from a job and and when they see an opportunity. But I think it's a weird situation for everybody where he's just kind of floating. And it's like, you know, as club management, it's like, we can't really punish, you know, we can't like fire this guy because he hasn't, he hasn't blown anything. You know, it's, they're just kind of in no man's land. And uh, I think if they drop out of the top four, I think that'll be a a good reason to get rid of him. But I don't see them doing that either. I see them continuing to play for ties um, and maybe grabbing a win here or there out of nowhere. You know, Bruno Fernandez looks tired lately. Uh, I think they need to get him a break, um, you know, bring guy, a guy like Pogba who's kind of coming back um, from injury, give him a, give, give Fernandez a little break and slide him in. But I don't know, man, I really don't. I, I, the fact that that man has a job after a year and however long it is still shocking to me. I think he's an assistant coach and that's it. Uh, but I think they're in a weird place where it's like, how do we get, you know, you, you can't fire the guy, you know, he's, he's succeeded to an extent. So yeah. I don't yeah, know. He's the, the guy that like, he's one of your coworkers that takes over a sales position equal to yours. And they just randomly transfer one account to his territory. And like, it blows up the territory and sales and that be Bruno Fernandez. And then <laughs> he, everyone's like, Oh shit, this guy knows what he's doing. No, he just has a, a good talent that brought it for him. Right. And then like six weeks later, it's like, it, the well's starting to dry up a little bit and he looks around and he's like, who are my accounts that are still fucking good? And then he looks around and he's like, Oh, who's this guy? Paul Pogba. Oh, I forgot about him. Oh, shit. Maybe <laughs> I'll throw him out there. And that's exactly what he's been doing. Like, he's just, it's like every night, like he just sits there and throws darts and sees what sticks yeah. player wise. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go with Fred. I'm going to go with McTominay. I'm going to go with Pogba. Like he, I don't think he knows what he's doing. Hmm. And then he has like all this good up and coming young talent like Greenwood and a bunch of other guys. And he's like, well, I probably need to let them watch Anthony Martial and see what he can do. So that way they can learn from him. But then in the meantime, Martial sucks and like, isn't doing shit for the team. And so it's like, it's yeah, it's a never ending cycle of just like when you're getting a person who's a Tottenham supporter, to, to like question your coaching tactics I actually know you have issues like yeah, <laughs> like, yeah so I, I don't know yeah interesting times let's move on let's talk players. let's talk about some good teams from here on out yeah yeah well let's transition um just a very quick preview uh this week is international break so starting tomorrow Wednesday the 24th we have got Turkey versus Netherlands which should be a really great matchup actually Netherlands, one of the best teams in the world. Turkey has some good talent. Um, maybe some aging talent with guys like Pjanic, but they've got uh, they've got some other players who can make some things happen. Kalinoyu from AC Milan. Uh, Cenk Tosin, from, <laughs> uh, who's moved on from Everton, but um, can make things happen here or there. I'm, I'm not going to say he's a good player by any means, but so, they're, they're one of those teams who shouldn't beat Netherlands, but they should be able to at least make things interesting. Um, and Netherlands will be great to watch, get a good preview of what they look like without Van Dyke. Um, 
really talented though, even even without him. Uh, they've got options in the back defensively with Delict and and some others. Uh, and then you got Belgium versus Wales, which should be a phenomenal matchup. We're going to preview Belgium's uh, Euro Euro Cup lineup starting eleven. Um, Wales has a little bit of talent. Aaron Ramsey's injured right now, but they got Daniel James of United. Uh, Gareth Bale, obviously, Nico Williams, left back from Liverpool. Um, so they got a handful of players who can who can pop in and make a splash. Um, and then you got France versus Ukraine, which Ukraine again, not a team that that boasts a ton of talent, but a handful of, of decent players, Zinchenko and, and a, a couple others, um, where you don't expect them to beat France, uh, but you expect them to maybe make things interesting at times. Uh, Give them a little bit of a little bit of fight back. Thursday, you got Italy versus Northern Ireland. I'm really excited about this. I got my Italy cap on right now. Um, Italy's got a good up and coming squad. A lot of young guys mixed with some, you know, your Chiro Immobiles, your Lorenzo Insignes, some guys who have been around the block, have some experience, have some leadership qualities about them, and then you got some young talent. Um, you know, with, with Matteo Politano, uh, Sandro Tonali, who I'm not sure exactly how much he'll play, um, Pellegrini, some other guys that, that will come in and, and play well for him. Uh, Nico Barella has been phenomenal for Inter Milan this year, a name that really until this season he hadn't really bust onto the scene as a, a huge player, but he's a guy who control the middle, can control the middle of the pitch. And then again, you got a ton of experience on that squad too with, you know, Barzali, um, you got Marco Verratti, um, just a, a really good mix. Uh, again, another young guy. I keep going back and forth, but Moise Keane up top has been has been on fire, and you got him learning from a guy like Chiro Mobley, who's been a a certified goal scorer in Bundesliga Serie A um, and for the Italian national team. So, really, a lot of potential there. Um, I'm as an Italy fan, I'm I'm really excited for that. Uh, and then the Let, other... Let's do them. Let's pick their roster next week then. Yeah. All right. Next week we'll go Italy. God, I'm gonna have like four or five different lineups. I'm gonna go all. I'm gonna go all U23, and then I'm gonna go <laughs> all just swag, and then I'm gonna go experience. <laughs> um, and then the other the other match for Thursday is Scotland versus Austria, which will be really fun. Scotland's got a nice young squad that they've put together: Andy Robertson, McTominay. Um, again, you know, they, they got a few options to choose from. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving people out, but they got some good young players. Uh, um, uh, Tierney from Arsenal. A lot of players who, that's the beauty of Scotland. It's similar to the Scottish Premier League. Like, if you want to go out and see 22 guys just playing 110% at 300 miles per hour, it's, it's like they've got run the jewels in their in their headsets while they're playing and they're just like they're they're like running and they think they're sprinting but they're actually like ready to run through a wall that's the scottish premier league and then you've just got a team of 11 out there that are just all have that mindset it's like what the fuck are these guys running on you know um so that'll be (laughs) (laughs) so that'll be a fun one and then sunday you got USA, Team USA versus Northern Ireland. We're going to get a glimpse of this golden generation that uh, everyone's been talking about. Really exciting group of young players. Um, really, you know, we've, we've been seeing this wave come for a few years, and now it feels like we're really at the, at the pinnacle of that. And, like, it's only going to get better from here because, you know, 
youth development's improving. Everything's improving. Players are going over to Europe steadily, regularly. I mean, every league you look in over in Europe now has some U.S. talent, which is super, super fun. Uh, a change we've needed to see for a while, and it's finally coming to fruition. And then to wrap it up, next week, Wednesday, March 31st, you've got England versus Poland. We already talked last week about how stacked and how deep England is. And then um, you've got this human cyborg, Robert Lewandowski, going against them. Um, sure to give Stones and Maguire, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker, whoever they choose defensively, um, sure to give that England defense a challenge. Any thoughts, Topes? I know I just went through a very quick uh, rundown there. I'm out of breath. Uh, so USA's two games that they have this week are friendlies because um, most of the CONCACAF teams are not playing in World Cup qualifiers. It's mostly all uh, European teams um, right now. Uh, but yeah, it was. It's it's gonna be a it's gonna be fun to get it back. Like there's just something about uh, you know international play. Um, supporting your country and whatnot. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely fun. Um, I think growing up a U.S. fan, uh, I wasn't always married to the U.S. Like, yeah, I root for them all the time, but I would not say that they've ever had one of my favorite teams internationally-wise. You know, I would say there's certain teams from England, from, uh, from France, and there's certain teams from, like, Italy that I would say, like, that, that World Cup team was – by far, I would put them ahead of, like, my favorites instead of, like, you know, like, even the uh, last time they had the World Cup with France, like, that was one of, that was one of my favorite teams. Like, that French team was awesome. They were so fast, so well, go, uh, so well formed, uh, so well with their formation, and then their goal scoring capabilities were just bonkers. Like, they were so stacked up front, and, uh, yeah, so I would put them ahead of, like, any team that had, you know, Demarcus Beasley, uh, Landon Donovan, uh, Tim Howard towards the end and what are, any other goalie, you know, like I would put that French team as, as one of my favorites above everyone else. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, yeah, it's like, it's fun. It's going to be fun to watch USA. Um, the only other game that I saw that was a friendly that you didn't mention was the uh, Wales playing Mexico. I think that'll be good. Mexico has a legit team right now. Um, so I expect a lot from them. Uh, and then, yeah, Wales has, uh, a rooting interest for me, they have like three or four guys from Tottenham on the team. You know, they're, they're the Welsh Mafia with uh, Radon Davies and uh, Garrett Bale. So, yeah, yeah, I, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun week. You know, there's really nothing else but these games. Uh, so if if you have a player that you like that's not on them, they're just, you know, it's like two weeks almost not watching, not watching that player. So. Yeah, that's the the cruelty of the international break. You get some good matchups like this, and it's really fun to watch. But if if you don't care about any of these countries, uh, it can be pretty tough to bear. You know, going to a week or two weeks. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Without uh, seeing Mason Mount. Yeah, without seeing Mason Mount. Exactly. Yeah. No, he'll he'll be on that England lineup. I'm sure of that. Um, but yeah. Excited for international break. Uh, moving on to the main topic of conversation. What do you got for your Belgium starting 11, Tobes? Let's hear it. So so a little preface for this. I was really excited to do Belgium. However, because one, they're stacked. But England is so deep that it was like, all right, who are we going to choose? Whereas Belgium is really, really good. But they're not super, super deep. You know, it's it's 
to me, it's fairly straightforward. I'm interested to see who you chose for your starting 11 because I think we'll be pretty similar here. So to piggyback off your comment, uh, the last World Cup, they considered that to be the golden era of Belgian soccer uh, with that team. Um, as of right now, the golden era, I think, is on its way out. Uh, the whole roster that they gave, there's only two guys on it that were born in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, so they're everyone, pretty much everyone's over the age of 20. So this is the year. Uh, which isn't a big deal. I mean, yeah, so you hit your prime in your early to mid-20s. But uh, you look at, like, say, Portugal, I mean, definitely USA, but you look at all those other teams, and they have a few teenagers that are on the team that are either bench, you know, sitting on the bench, but they deserve uh, first-team minutes instead of playing for the U's. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. And then uh, definitely uh, Eden Hazard being injured like one of the best players in the world. And especially when it came to playing with like Kevin De Bruyne and like everyone else, like he just, he made that, he was like the engine of that team um, during the world cup. So I uh, started with a three, four, three, which is what I think that they'd be best suited for. But I kind of actually set it up as a three, four, two, one with a traditional uh, striker and Lukaku. I don't expect him to come back and, you know, mark a guy. Um, so I have him. I have uh, up front in the two positions. I have on the right side, uh, Kevin De Bruyne. And then on the left side, I have Yannick uh, Crisco uh, of Atletico Madrid. Um, he he didn't really jump off to me the last couple games I've seen with Atletico, but uh, he's definitely a great player. Yeah. Um, and then in my four in the midfield from left to right, I have uh, uh, Thorgan Hazard, which is Eden Hazard's younger brother. He plays for Borussia Dortmund. Um, he could probably switch to a middle position if they needed to s- get someone else out there. Like, a, I didn't start him, but like a uh, like a Dries Mertens or someone like that that kind of has that uh, athletic attack on the left side. Um, and then I went Axel uh, Witzel, which I don't think he would get playing time. I think there's a couple other guys, which I'll name them after this. Um, and then uh, Tielemans of Leicester. And then uh, Alexis uh, Selim- uh, Selimekers from uh, AC Milan yeah. um, on the right side. And then uh, shout out to my boys from Tottenham, or used to be uh, Jan Vertonghen. I have him as a left back. Um, actually, honestly, I know I put three back there, but uh, I kind of have just like three, I would say more just central backs, just all kind of playing. Because um, Jan Vertonghen could play a center back position. He could play outside left. Uh, he does all of that at Benfica. Um, and then he did it for like 10 plus years for the uh, Tottenham Hotspurs. And then uh, the current Tottenham Hotspur on his way out, he's 33. I expect him to probably go somewhere in his home country or somewhere smaller after this year. Uh, but that's Toby Alderweidel. And then uh, uh, Timothy uh, Kestke, oh, fuck, I don't know, Kest- uh, from Leicester City. He's the right back of Leicester. How do you pronounce his last name? Castagna. Castagna? Yeah. Yep. Castagna. Yeah, Castagna. Yeah, so I was. Yeah. Okay, because I was reading it. I'm like, I so some of these I I wrote their names based on how it would be read, but then I'm reading it. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> so, it's, so it's like, it's like I, I you everyone's like, hey, make it easier to pronunciate someone's name and like to pronounce it better. You should actually just like write it out the way it sounds. And so I did that, and it's like I screwed myself up. And then uh, of course uh, Courtois uh, in the back uh, for goalie. Um, People I left off was uh, Thomas Miner of uh, Borussia Dortmund. He's a defender. Uh, and then, you know, there was like Bashwai and Benteke of Crystal Palace. 
uh, Trossard of Leicester, and then uh, your boy Origi. So yes, sir. there's there's a lot of talent, but it's like not great talent, if that makes sense. Like they're yeah. very top heavy. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my lineup's pretty similar. Um, I did leave Axel Witzel out. He's actually right now he's injured and he's questionable for for the Euros. So I'm interested to see if he comes back. However, I did read um, from my inside sources out out, out in Bruges. Um, I did read that Hazard is expected to maybe be back by by the Euro Cup. It'll all depend on if he's back in time to train and all that as well. So I did include him. So up top, I've got a similar setup to you: three four three with with two. You know, the wingers hanging back a little bit, letting Lukaku be you know his own striker. So it's really more of a three four two one. But Lukaku up top, and you mentioned this is kind of the the last go around for this golden era. Um, most of them are starting to age a little bit. You know, they should still be around for uh, for the World Cup, but this should be their last Euro probably as a group. But I've got Lukaku up top. I've got Azard as a left wing slash attacking mid. Um, I've got Dries Mertens as a right wing and attacking mid. Um, he's actually injured right now as well, but he is expected to be back. He, he should be returning actually fairly soon to Napoli. So I got those three up top, uh, a lot of experience, incredible skill. Um, just three, three of the game's really best attackers technically. Um, and then my midfield is almost the same as you. I've got Dorgan Hazard on the left, Yuri Tielemans central mid along with Kevin Debrana. And then I've got Carrasco on the right. Um, in the back, I have got Jason Denier of Olympic Lyon on the left. I did throw your boy Jan, Jan Vertonghen in it, um, in the middle. And then I've got Thomas Mounier on the right side. Uh, and then obviously Thibaut Courtois in goal. Um, that's a no-brainer. We're not we're not bringing Mignola in. Uh, <laughs> And then some guys to keep an eye on. Obviously, Origi, I think, will be a great sub for Lukaku deep into games. Uh, I think Origi's great off the bench. Obviously, you saw what he did in the Champions League against Barcelona, known for that kind of super sub role, uh, being in the right place at the right time, got that pure striker mentality. Also, Leandro Trossard from, from Brighton, you touched on him. Uh, he'll be a valuable sub up top, brings a lot of pace, smart passing and shooting ability. Would be a great sub for somebody like Mertens, who's 33, aging. Um, somebody like Hazard, if Hazard does come back, uh, you know, he's going to be struggling with that injury, struggling to, to, to stay fit. And then I did give a shout to Alexis Salamaker from uh, AC Milan. I think he'll be a really good weapon on that. Right side, left side, he can play up top. He's, he's a pretty versatile midfielder, very creative, can get forward. Um, so I think they got options off the bench, but like you said, they don't quite have that depth of uh, in England or France where, you know, those players coming off the bench can make a difference and they can chew up some minutes. But, you know, it's not like having uh, potentially a James Madison come off the bench um, or, or a Bamford in the form he's in or a Vardy or somebody like that. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I, uh, I think you have a definitely a solid approach. I mean, there's not too many other... Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I didn't write him down, but there's a defensive midfielder of Wolves. Uh, I was trying to look it up, what his last name was. Uh, oh, uh, Dendicker. Dendicker? 
anyways, uh, he really impresses me when I watch the Wolves play, but I just couldn't see him getting any playing time ahead of like a Tielemans or yeah. an Axel Witzel uh, currently. Um, and then your uh, left back, I forget his name that you mentioned, but he he was from City, correct? Uh, he plays for Lyon. He may have came from City but, in the past, but um, yeah, that's he, he a, plays for Lyon. I, I think he came up with City for like 10 plus years and like was on loan. He like played at Celtic. Uh, he played all over the place uh, for, for City out on loan. He may um, have, yeah. But yeah. So no, that's definitely definitely a strong lineup, and uh, like you were saying, they play Wednesday against uh, uh, Wales, so that'll be a nice a nice uh, first uh, appetizer for everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, um, I actually, well, yeah, I do have a belter of the week, but I I have a sneaky feeling that it might be the same as yours. So uh, let's move on then. Let's move on to the belter of the week. What you got? We'll see if you steal. Uh, I. So I went with West Ham. Okay. And Jesse Lingard. Yes, sir. Uh, so he had a pass come into him. I don't remember if it took a slight deflection or not, but he perfectly set up his own volley and just went laces through. Just absolutely matched it into the net. Uh, absolute belter. And, like, I'm so happy for Jesse Lingard because he's, like, such an easy person to like. Yeah. Um, and, like, we, we were kind of shitting on United earlier and uh, uh, Ole Solskjaer and his, like, coaching tactics. And he pretty much shelved Lingard for – he pretty much shelved him for, I don't know, six months, pretty much the whole season. And, uh, yeah, he came through uh, with West Ham. He's finally gained some time. And I hope he doesn't go back to Manchester United. I hope he stays there. Um I hope he stays at West Ham and gets things going uh, even more so because um, he's like a he's like a spark plug for that team in the center uh, with Antonio and then with uh, Minamino when he was uh, playing for them a few times. Um, just to kind of go into that game a little bit more, there was a free kick probably eight yards outside the 18, um, and the ball like stopped rolling. And the ref was, like, kind of putting things up. And uh, Lingard just, like, toe-poked a through ball perfectly uh, to Bowen, who was playing, like, right, I don't know if he was a right wing or whatever, but it, he, like, totally caught Arsenal sleeping on the job and uh, just went right through. The goalie should have done better for Arsenal, but he didn't. And it was, like, just a heads-up play, like, a real smart play that, like, someone who's, like, definitely into the game and knowing what's going on like that's the play that you make you don't set that up for a free kick you just take it quick and get to that quick one-on-one against the goalie and they did and then a shout out to Bowen the dude I didn't even know he played I didn't even know who this guy is freaking does like a lawnmower pull starts up like a moped and (laughs) that's his celebration and I am all about dudes with choreographed celebrations especially (laughs) someone who I don't think scores that much for the team so it's even better because you know he's working on it all the time (laughs) and it was it was just perfect and like Jesse Lingard loved it (laughs) naturally Antonio loved it naturally yeah you know Bowen (laughs) he just had that one in the back pocket for like three months waiting to get a goal Love that. <laughs> Love it. So, yeah, so that's my belter. What's your belter? Mine was actually uh, Mislav Orsic. It was, it was his uh, first goal, um, that bender into the top right corner. Absolutely gorgeous. A uh, little bit of a mix of a, a belter and a bender. He hit it with pace for sure. He hit it hard. Um, but it was all about the technique. It was all about the finesse. 
Um, just a gorgeous goal of his of his three quality goals that would stood out to me as the best from a from a technical you know shooting standpoint. So um, we already touched a little bit. I think you mentioned your cheer. Um, did you have a boo? I mentioned my boo. You mentioned your. I cheer. did have a boo. It's kind of a weak boo, but it's a uh, Josh Hart. He's a NBA player. I want to say for the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah. Um, decided as a Chelsea supporter to talk some shit today. And uh, pretty much mentioned uh, that Gareth Bale is in form, currently playing at Tottenham, and he, he equated that to he's like, yeah, I played in the uh, D League for a little while to get my form and get my uh, get back in pace and to get ready for the NBA. So it's like a stepping stone, and that's what he's doing currently at Tottenham before going back to Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> So not only did he like reference NBA sports, but he also like shit on on the, on on a London rivalry. So, wow, yeah, that's, um, that's not not a good look for him. Uh, there, yeah, there's a handful of NBA players who speak pretty well to soccer, and then there's a few other ones where it's like, all right, you bought a couple jerseys and you're <laughs> now you're giving um, unsolicited analysis, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So did you, did you have a boo or a cheer? We had your boo, but did you have your cheer? Yeah, I did have my boo. Um, my cheer was for Xavi Alonso, who has taken the Borussia Mönchengladbach role as a manager. And uh, I guess we can close on this, just a, a little conversational piece that you can take to our social media. Um, we're seeing this class, this like generation of phenomenal midfielders step into a managerial role. Uh, you see Pirlo at Juve, Zidane was kind of the first who took the Real Madrid role. Um, you know, Rooney went into the player-manager role and now is just managing. You've got Frank Lampard who gave it a go. Uh, he's on the job hunt now, but, you know, he, he popped in for a while at Chelsea. And then you've got Steven Gerrard seeing really good success with Rangers. So you've got that whole generation of super talented midfielders stepping into managerial roles and Javi Alonso really surprised me when I when I heard the news um, that he would be taking over and I, I kind of stepped back for a minute and I was like why am I surprised by this that makes total sense he played in Germany for a while one of the best defensive midfielders of that generation if not the best um, student of the game super intelligent guy played that role, you know, that, that deep line playmaker is kind of the, you know, typically the brains of the operation. So I wanted to bring up a couple questions. One, do we see any other players from that golden generation of midfielders uh, stepping into managerial roles anytime soon? And two, what players from this generation who are kind of on their way out do you see in the future, you know, 10 years down the road? Uh, taking a managerial role. So first, let's start with any other players from from that Javi Lonzo, Gerard, Lampard, Pirlo generation that that you see maybe taking on a managerial role anytime soon. Um, if we're going Italy, I could see like a, a Francesco Totti. Uh, I always really liked his style of play. Um, I don't know how well that would equate to coaching. I mean, it's kind of like a crapshoot. Yeah. Uh, but I could see, I could definitely see him. Um, <clears throat> and then, like, I mean, this is more new age, I guess. But uh, just hearing him speak, uh, like, tactics and stuff, I think uh, both Jamie Kerrigan 
of England, and then also uh, Tim Howard. I, I really I don't know if they'd ever want to do that. They probably want to stay in the booth. Um, but they both, uh, I think, have a good way of understanding what tactics are being played and how to like outperform those tactics, mm-hmm. which I think is a huge thing with coaching. Um, so those would probably be my two. Um, I mean, Andy Cole of England, uh, I could see him being a, a good coach. I don't know if, if he's ever done like any assistant coaching or anything. Yeah. Um, but those would probably be the three that kind of pop off the screen. Yeah. What about you? Um, first of all, I was a Liverpool fan. I don't know if that was the beer talking or what, but Carragher, please, not Kerrigan. All right. What and I said, Kerrigan? Kerrigan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think Jamie Kerrigan is a great shout. I do think he'll stay in the booth. I think he excels in that. You know, he can he can be witty and funny um, in that commentator sort of role and that analyst sort of role, and I think his personality really shines through there. So I think he'll. I, I imagine him staying in that kind of role, but I do think he'd make a great coach. Um, other guys, uh, I could see, and, and it may be a couple of years, but, uh, uh, Xavi or an Iniesta are the two that really stand out to me as, you know, two of the smartest players, yeah, um, easily two of the smartest players of their generation. They really epitomize that intelligent midfielder kind of role. Um, I, I could see them managing, uh, you know, a, a middle of the pack or, or, bottom of the table La Liga side um, and excelling just because of their intelligence, the way they read the game, the way they were always a step ahead as players. Those are the two that, that really leap out to me that haven't, haven't already picked up managerial roles. Um, I thought maybe Alessandro Del Piero, but I don't know. He seems to kind of be doing his own thing. He's kind of like a Ronaldinho where he's like, He's sort of a, a superstar, you know, and like a big social media guy and is kind of doing his own things branding-wise outside of yeah. the game. Um, so I don't know if he would get into a managerial role or not. But definitely definitely Xavi and Iniesta, I could see, and I would love mm-hmm. to see that. Um, um, two other ones that are technically coaching currently, but uh, like a Vincent company, I could see him continually just continue to rise yeah. um, into his coaching status. And then uh, Tottenham, they pulled in uh, Ledley King, who was like kind of like their defensive best player the last like 30, 40 years, you know, defensively. He's been, he was awesome for them. And uh, so he's kind of like a Tottenham hero. So they brought him in, but he's actually done a good job working with the defense. Um, I don't know if he'd get a lot more crack at something bigger, uh, but uh, I could see him also having uh, a better coaching career if he wanted it. I don't know if he necessarily does. He's, pr- I kind of feel like he took Tottenham. Because that's his, that's his home team. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of different guys. It's just, I think it's all about the right fit at that time, you know. Like kind of like what you were saying about Iniesta. Like I definitely think so, but I don't, I don't think he'd excel in England. You know, I think he'd yeah. need to stay in in the Spanish league. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then just players, you know, I, I really don't. I brought up. I brought up players who who are in the game now. You could see being a, a manager in the future. You know, I could see, and it's tough because as technology gets better, as training gets better, as as players get more of a break when they need it, um, you see athletes in general, not just in soccer, but you know, you look at LeBron who hasn't lost a step, and he's you know however old he is. I don't even know, thirty four, thirty five. Um, you look at Ronaldo who's thirty five. You look at Zlatan who's thirty eight. Um, players are just playing a little bit longer, so it's hard to tell when somebody's going to retire nowadays. 
but some players that I could see who just are very intelligent, you know, mental players, um, who I could see taking managerial roles, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. Um, somebody like Luka Modric stands out to me. Uh, somebody like Sergio Busquets. Um, you know, Kevin DeBrano further down the road, he's still got a lot of his career ahead of him, obviously, but he's, he's number one that stands out to me, you know, playing with, uh, under Pep's system, um, you know, Pep came up through, through Barcelona, um, you know, under Cruyff, played that, that total football, that perfect football, and has, has brought that into his managerial career. I could totally see DeBrano kind of follow in his footsteps, so. Um, those are a couple guys that stand out to me. Is there anybody in particular that stands out to you as as somebody you could see really being a good coach moving forward? Uh, I mean, you might have more insight to like personal stuff that maybe hold it against them. Uh, but I always really thought James Milner and uh, Jordan Henderson were both pretty big leaders, uh, especially for Team England. Um, I mean, and Liverpool especially, but like those guys can come in and play a few different positions. So I think in order to like, especially Jordan Henderson, in order to be able to play, you know, in essence, he can play three to, I don't know, maybe even four pit, uh, four spots on the pitch in order to be able to do that positionally and like have the know-how to be able to mark. Um, I think that says a lot about tactics and uh, what kind of player you are, not just athletically, but smarts wise. And uh, Miller's kind of the same way. I don't know if how, I think Jordan Henderson kind of gives that a little bit more. Um, and then uh, Fabian Delph always kind of came off as that to me as well. Um, so, And he's kind of traveled as well, playing in different countries, not just the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, so I could see, I could see him kind of having uh, that effect as well, current players. Yeah, I think Henderson and Milner are great shouts that were right under my nose I didn't even think of. Um, I could totally see those two coaching like a championship team, just a really gritty physical team and like meeting up in, in 10 years down the road. And they've both just got these hardworking, like dirty teams that just go at it a hundred percent. Kind of like we talked about with the Scottish premier league um, and just really getting into each other. I could see that being a fun match 10 years down the road. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think both <laughs> of them are, are great shouts, but uh mm-hmm. Other than that, that's that's all we got for you this week, people. Uh, give us your opinions on, on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Uh, we'll be posting our starting 11s for Belgium on Instagram and Twitter. So give us your feedback for that, and then give us a shout on Twitter as well. Um, you know, any, any current or former players that you could see going into a managerial role or that you would like to see going into a managerial role, whether that's someone you, you see succeeding tactically or somebody you just think would be entertaining in a Jose Mourinho-esque way. Um, Just something you'd like to see. (laughs) Other than that, uh, thank you for tuning in. Give us a follow. uh, Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, at Brews and Belters. Um, Other than that, Tobes, you got anything for the people? No, appreciate it. All right, cheers. We'll see you next Tuesday. Thanks.